Let's pray together first. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to acknowledge who you are, that you are our loving Heavenly Father. We thank you, Lord, that you have promised to be with us. And so, Lord, we believe that you are here now. We believe, Lord, that every person here is important to you. And that, Lord, you want to speak into everyone's situation. And so, Lord, we would ask that you would help us to turn our attention fully and utterly on yourself. That you would give us hearts, Lord, that are desiring to hear what you have to say. And we pray, Lord, that we would go away knowing that we've truly met with the living God. And so, Lord, we thank you that we can pray this and we believe that you're a God who hears and who answers our prayers. And so we bring them in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as I was thinking about what I should say this morning, the Lord very clearly said to me, and it's strange, Graham, what you've been saying, the Lord very clear to me said, remind yourself, Robert, first of all, and then remind all the people who they are. And so here, right now, we're going to remind ourselves of who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that we get it right, we're going to do it from Scripture. And in Peter it says this, and I'll just read some uh, verses. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by Ben but chosen by God and precious to him, you also are living stones being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now that you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builder rejected has become a capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock to make them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But here is the promise for us. But you and I, are you listening? We are a chosen people. Just imagine, out of all the world that we live in, God chose you. He chose you. He chose you. We are an exceptional people. A chosen people. A royal priesthood. You know, you're looking at the son of the king. And there's two daughters and a son and a daughter. We're all part of this wonderful kingdom. We are an absolutely exceptional people. That's who we are. And we're made that way for a reason. So that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Do you remember the time when you became a Christian? Remember the time when you came from darkness into this glorious light that we know? It's amazing. We are an amazing people. Not because of anything we have done, but for what God has done for us. And God wants you. 
I believe this morning to feel good about yourselves because of who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know that some of us, many of us this week, may have had hard times. But God wants to encourage you this morning and lift you up. You're chosen. You're blessed. You are a beautiful people. I want to read some other verses this morning to you. And then just (coughs) speak to you what God has laid on my heart. It says, The gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is God's gift to you. And it's indescribable. And God has reserved for his children a priceless gift of eternal life. It is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond reach and change and decay. And God in his mighty power will make sure that you get there safely to receive it. Because you are trusting him, it will be yours in the coming last days for all to see. So God's keeping something for us in these last days. You know, it's strange when you become ill. I had a, in March, I had a heart attack, as you know. And it makes you begin to think, not only of this life, but of the life to come. And this verse has been good for me. God has something, and he's keeping it. And it's precious, it's wonderful, and he's going to give it to me. Not to you, not to you, to me. He has gifts for you, but he's got it for me also. And that's really good. The gift of eternal life is priceless because it was bought for us at a great cost. And we all know what that cost was. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the person I'm going to try and describe to you right now is someone who deserves our compassion. When you see him, and it is a him, I can only urge you not to laugh, not to mock, and please don't turn your head away and just shake it and tut tut. If you see him, I can only urge you to go to him and maybe lead him to the nearest chair and help him sit down. Please have pity on him. This person, and he's a man, he's like a beached whale. He's like Tarzan walking through an urban jungle. He's completely and utter out of his comfort zone. So who is this forlorn creature that I'm trying to speak about? Who is this ashen-faced orphan? Well, I'm sure you've seen him. As I say, he's a man. And he is a man who has ventured in to the women's department store looking for a gift. Maybe the occasion is for a birthday present, an anniversary present, or a Christmas present. Whatever the reason, this man comes out of hiding and he ventures in to the unknown world of the women department store. 
<coughs> and I was reminded of this when Alec and I, one year in St Andrews, went into the women's department store. <laughs> and that's what I thought about you. The, the man is easily spotted. You can see them. They stand there. They're motionless. Sweat running down their faces. They are just completely and utterly out of their comfort zone. And quite recently, I was that man. I ventured in to the ladies' department store. Now, my father had warned me about places like that. And as I was standing there, and it is an amazing place for a man, you women, you don't understand, but it's an amazing place for a man when you go in to this, these department stores. You just don't know what to do or where to go. And very kindly, when I was there, a woman came up and asked if she could help me. And I said, oh, yes. I said, I really want something for my wife. I don't know, maybe a dress, a jumper, anything. <laughs> And so she said to me, this is true, she said to me, now what size is your wife? <laughs> and stupidly I said, oh, about that size. <laughs> and I realized that I had made the biggest mistake and I just got out of that place as quickly as I could. Each time a gift is needed, you will find men venturing in to the unknown to find that, that special gift. Why is it that two or three times a year I put myself through the agonies, my worst nightmare, to go into the women's department store to get a gift for my wife? Why do I do it? And the answer is quite simple. Because I love her to bits. That's why I do it. Have you ever wondered why God has gone to such great lengths for you and for I? Now there's many reasons. But I believe the simple one is this. That God has gone to great lengths because, quite simply... He loves you and I. Why is it that God wants to give us so much? So much, and we could exist on so less. You know, he could have made this world as flat as a pancake, and as grey and as dull as anything. And you know what? You and I would have not known the difference. But he didn't, did he? He splashed orange into the sunrise and cast the sky in blue. And if you love to see the geese as they gather, chances are you'll see that too. Did he have to make the squirrel's tail furry? Was he obliged to make the birds to sing? And the funny way chickens scurry or majestic of thunder when it rings? Why give a flower fragrance? Why give food its taste? Could it be he loves to see the look upon our face? God loves us. Pure and simply, he loves us.
And yet that love came at a terrible cost. And we're just going to look at that just for a moment. In the Gospel of John, when Jesus stood before Pilate in the judgment hall, Pilate says these words, here is the man. Other translations have it, behold the man. And for many, that's the first step in understanding and beginning to comprehend something of our Christian faith. Behold the man. One challenge that I had was to look at the Gospels and just look through the Gospels and read about Jesus and see the sheer manliness of who he was. Complete and utter man. You know, one of the things about having a heart attack is that you have to take things easy initially. And so you sit in front of the telly and sometimes you watch rubbish programs. And But one, pro, one film I did watch was called uh, Lawrence of Arabia. It's a fascinating film. It's a true story. It's a story of one man's desire to lead the Arab people to freedom. And during the film, he's talking to another man about the frustrations of trying to do this because he's English and obviously the Arabs are Arabs. And this is what the man says, no one can lead the Arabs unless he has ate their rank food, unless he has worn their smelly clothes, unless he has lived with them and yet appears better in himself. What the guy was trying to say was says, if you want to read the Arab people, then you need to become one of them. But even better than one of them. And surely that is what Jesus did. He came among us. He mingled with us. He wore our human frame. He bore he was born of our born flesh of our flesh. Living with us. He was truly a man. And that's something that we should never ever forget. He was completely and utterly human. And it just struck me this morning when Graham was talking. (coughs) How is it that Jesus can come and get alongside me? He can because he was human. He can because he has, as we say, worn the t-shirt. For him to claim to be my good shepherd, he needs to understand me the way that I am. And he does. Because he came, firstly, as a man. But a special man. A sinless man. George Matheson, I don't know if you ever, if you're into poetry, but he was blind. He wrote some amazing poems. And he said this, the son of man, whenever I, <coughs> the son of man, whenever I doubt, whenever I have doubts in life, I think of you. And sometimes we do go through hardships, and we will all the time. When we do, I want you to think on this one thing. Jesus has been there. He's done that. 
He's worn a t-shirt. He's right there with you, completely and utterly understanding where you are and where you're coming from. Behold the man! This man who left heaven and donned humanity. And why did he go to all that trouble? Because sometimes we don't realize and probably will never be able to comprehend what it meant for him to leave heaven and take on flesh. But why bother? And the answer is there, quite simply. Because he loves you. You want us to be inspired about that simple phrase. Because he loves you. Behold the man. The first step I believe that we need to take to begin to understand our Redeemer and what it meant for him. But there's another phrase in scripture that I came across. Behold the Lamb of God. You remember John the Baptist? That was his testimony when Jesus was baptized. When Jesus came up out of the water, John says these wonderful words. Behold the Lamb of God. Of God. Because it would take more than manliness to save us. Behold the Lamb of God. This is sacrifice. This is suffering for others. This is taking our sorrow, our shame, our sin, our degradation upon Himself. It's amazing what love would do. This is God's love. For you and me in action. If I asked you, what is love? I wonder what you would say. It's very difficult to define what love is. You can't produce it and put it in a bottle and drink it. As someone said, the central characteristic of love is a readiness to take things upon itself. Love is best seen in action. I'm a great Charles Dickens fan. I've read these books so many times. And one of my favourites is David Copperfield. And in that we're introduced to a Yarmouth fisherman who has just lost his beloved daughter to the world. She runs away with another man. And then the man deserts her. And she is completely and utterly lost. She's in the gutter. And he calls her his Emily. And this is what he says, I will go till I drop dead to find her. And if you read the story, he goes and he finds her. And he he brings her back to self-respect. True love in action. Taking something upon himself. And I could tell you story upon story of love of great deeds, of people taking these characteristics upon themselves. You know, last Saturday, 45 years ago, I married a wee Irish lassie. (coughs) Best thing I ever done apart from my faith. And that day I promised that I would try and love her as best I could. I took it upon myself Now I have failed miserably, but I believe that I've also tried to love her. I took it upon myself to do that. 
And that's what happened on the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He took it upon himself to love you. And that love led to a horrible death. The spotless Lamb of God took my sin, my degradation, the world's sin, and took it upon himself. One dear old saint, when he heard this truth and it just washed over him again, he said, it's terrible, it's terrible, it's terrible, it's damnation. And he took it lovingly. You see, the scripture reminds us that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's demands. We were condemned. That condemnation was on him. The sacrificial lamb of God paid the price. Set us free. Why? You listening? Because he loves us. Because he loves us. Jesus needed to be a man to take my place in your place. He needed to be the Lamb of God so that the sacrifice would be acceptable. But there is a third step that we need to recognize. And the third step for us probably is the hardest. Oh, we're willing to recognize Jesus as the sinless one of God. We're willing to recognize that he died on the cross to save us. But the third reading that I read was from the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, the writer, whoever it was, had a vision. And this is what he saw, and he left it with us. He said, we see Jesus high and lifted up, crowned with glory and honor. Behold your king. Behold your king. And when I began to think about it, and I probably speak to myself more than I speak to you. If I saw Jesus truly as my king, then my life, I would have to confess with you, would need to change drastically. How do you know Jesus? Do you recognize him as your king? Do you recognize him as someone who has the right to say to you, love your neighbor, pray for your enemies, <clears throat> love those who hate you? If you want to be inspired, go and read the book of Acts, the early church. They said they turned the world upside down. Why? I want to suggest to you the reason why is that they knew Jesus as their king. And it changed their life and changed the world's life completely. <clears throat> There's a strange story from history. When King Henry was on the throne, King Henry V. And if you read history, he was a king that people loved. He was a very gallant gentleman. And when he was ill and near his end, one day he woke up from a sleep to see his son, Henry VI, who was notorious 
But Henry VI had come into his room and was trying on his crown. And the dying king raised himself up and said to his son, Wait a little while, son. Wait a little while. Wait till I am dead. While I live, the crown is mine. And it's a strange story from history, but it reminds me there is a king among us. And he's here right now. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And because he lives, and I believe that with all my heart, the crown is his. But do we believe it? Do we crown him king of our lives? Are we willing to make that sacrifice and say, yes, you are king of my life? He sees in many ways quite simple to accept Jesus as saviour, but to make him lord, to make him king. Well, that's a different story. And it's a challenge for us all. I have a piece of sad news for you. I'm dying. I am. That's true. I hope not immediately. But I'm dying. We all are dying. And it's important for us to know who our king is. I was watching another one of these films, The Highlander. And... There's a song in the Highlander and it says, it's sung by Queen, who wants to live forever. This king, who wants to be your king, this king Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me shall not perish but have eternal life. Behold your king. Have you made him king in your life? Is the circle complete? Only you and I can answer that question. But if he is king, then he has promised that your life <coughs> will be a life that's full. A life that's full. And I thought I would end there with that challenge. And then one more thought came to me. It came from the book of Isaiah. And we read these words. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on high, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift your voice and shout. Lift it up and don't be afraid. Say to Jerusalem, behold your God. You see, if we know Jesus as a perfect man, if we know Jesus is the Lamb of God who took the sins away, if we know Jesus and we've made him king of our lives, then we have every right to go to the world out there and say, Behold, you're king. That's the message. That's the message. Behold, you're God. But only, I believe, if we know him in the way that he desires for us to know. Now I don't I know you quite well here, but there might be some who have never ever taken the step of asking Jesus into their life. I could I could only encourage you, I'll hug you, I'll do anything except Jesus into your life. But it's more than that.
He can be your Savior, but He wants also to be your Lord, your King. He wants you to know Him as God. And we can do that when we recognize who He is. And the message is that He has done it all. Quite simply. Because He loves you. It's amazing. There's no other reason to do it. He loves you. What is our response to that love going to be this morning? I commend God's word to you. Great.